You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for the reading of the September edition of the Crestone Eagle. My name is Paula Vaughn. Taking a look at the front page of the Crestone Eagle, starting with this column written by Matt Litt, Managing Editor. Town budget to be addressed by auditor in September. Residents of Crestone are awaiting a promised amended 2023 budget from the town board. An auditor's report is expected to be presented at the town's next regular meeting, September 11th. An August 21st meeting to discuss the 2023 budget saw no advancement on that goal. That meeting erupted into an angry shouting match for forcing Mayor Karina Danforth to abruptly end it before any work on the budget could be accomplished. More than 20 people attended the meeting. The meeting started with public comments that ended with resident and business owner Elaine Johnson presenting the flaws she has found in the original 2023 budget. The 2023 budget was approved last December to meet a required state deadline with the promise it would produce an amended version. The Colorado Department of Labor Affairs website shows Crestone's last budget filing as December 15, 2022. The town has had a contentious time with this budget and was forced to severely cut revenue projections for the fiscal year as a result of staffing and other issues. Upon reviewing the new 2023 budget, citizens Elaine Johnson and Warren Stephen found numerous issues with the numbers including dollar figures from unrealized grants. Those unapplied for grants accounted for upwards of $2 million in the original version of the budget. In a town document titled Notes to 2023 Supplemental Budgets, the town stated that the reduction is primarily the $1,515,003 in grants that were not and will not be applied for. Why those unapplied for grant dollar figures were even in the initial version of the 2023 budget remains unanswered. General fund revenues were adjusted down to $585,055 from a previously approved total of $2,084,203, an almost 72% cut. Additionally, the water and sewer proprietary fund was slashed from $737,520 to only $109,320. Personnel costs were also adjusted to, quote, reflect changes in job descriptions and combine water and sewer with a public works position. A town meeting in September of 2022 was the tip-off that something wasn't quite right, said Johnson, co-owner of the Mercantile. After reviewing the presented budget, Johnson and Stephen began digging through the numbers and finding discrepancies. Their efforts to bring these issues to the town have been met coolly. They were nice about it in the beginning, said Johnson, but that changed. According to Stephen, some some board members became defensive, and he admitted, I've been a part of that. In a larger view, he said, the public is partly responsible for not bird-dogging the board. Everybody shares in the blame. It's not just the board. They are good people, he added. Where the town went so wrong with this budget is hotly contested. One seemingly major factor points to former interim town administrator Leslie Klusmeyer. Hired by the town in 2021 as a contract employee, 
Klusmeyer was responsible for instituting a number of changes, including increased salaries and water and sewer rate increase. Klusmeyer resigned from her contracted interim position in December 2022, leaving the town struggling to deal with the changes she had initiated. One of the major changes she pushed for related to water and sewer funding, which previously held an enterprise fund status, meaning it could operate on some levels related to funding without voter approval. In 2022, Crestone Voters approved a 0.5% sales tax increase dedicated to water and sewer. That change put the total funding percentage from taxation for water and sewer over 50% and the town lost that status. In a letter Klusmeyer drafted in November of 2021, the general fund can subsidize enterprise funds, but if the subsidy comes from taxes, it cannot exceed 10% of the total revenue of the enterprise fund. In our case, the sales tax is quite a bit more than that, almost 50% of each fund's revenues, the letter said. The town responded by moving all but 10% of the sales tax revenue from the Water and Sewer Fund into Capital Improvements Fund. At the next municipal election, citizens voted in favor of that funding move. Moving forward, in a June 13, 2022 letter to the board, Klusmeyer outlined options and recommendations for water and sewer rates to cover operation and maintenance costs. The 31-page report detailed options for water and sewer increases. The town opted for rate increases, settling for a $12 per month increase. One other option, as yet to be enacted, could include making residents on their own well systems to pay a monthly bill whether or not they are connected to the town's water lines. The water and sewer funding is only one of the issues facing Crestone in its attempts to produce an amended 2023 budget. Preceding budget recommendations and one from March of this year appear to show unaccountable variations in the figures. One example is the starting balance of the general fund. The figure entered in the budget filed with the state is $455,616. In the preceding budget version on December 7, 2022, that figure is $101,487. And another, dated December 2, 2022, lists it at $537,787. And another document from March 27, 2023, shows that figure again lowered to $101,487. Scott Ayersman, Interim Town Administrator, said he believes the $101,487 figure is in error. Mayor Karina Danforth, in response to questions emailed to her, stated that all budgets are prepared by the town treasurer and submitted to the board. The Crestone Board of Trustees has had multiple meetings and sessions to discuss the supplemental budget, said Danforth. She continued, The board has sought public comment at multiple stages and is continuing to use the information gained in these meetings to develop the most accurate supplemental budget. It is anticipated that the board will vote to adopt the supplemental budget after public hearing revisions are made as necessary, Danforth added. Any interested elector may file objections to the budget prior to adoption. The board is actively working to present and adopt a supplemental budget, said Danforth. And we have this article written by Beverly Strand, RN Interim Director, Alamosa County Public Health Department. 
first West Nile virus reported in SLV. The first human case of West Nile virus in San Luis Valley for 2023 was recently reported in Alamosa County. Public health officials are warning folks to continue taking measures to prevent mosquito bites, as this is the time of year when West Nile virus is most likely. There has been a sharp increase in reported cases of West Nile virus over the last week across Colorado. Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment reported 74 cases as of August 22nd, including five deaths. As mosquito season continues, health officials recommend taking the following steps to protect yourself and your family from West Nile virus. Limiting activities outdoors at dusk and dawn when mosquitoes are most active. Wearing long pants, long sleeve shirts, and socks in areas where mosquitoes are active. Using an insect repellent containing DEET, picaridin, oil of lemon eucalyptus, or paramethane diol. Eliminate sources of standing water near your home, which can become a breeding ground for the mosquitoes that carry the West Nile virus. Mosquito-proof your home by installing or repairing screens on windows and doors. If you think you or a family member is sick with West Nile virus, consult a health care provider, especially if you develop a fever with severe headache or confusion following a mosquito bite. And we have this front page article written by Nancy Tilos with Matt Litt. Crash causes fire, disrupts power throughout the area. A single vehicle accident on August 24th knocked out power to Crestone, Casita Park, and Baca areas for hours. The car was heading west on T Road and failed to make the first westbound left curve. It left the road, hitting a power pole, bursting into flames which completely consumed it. T Road was closed for about an hour. Baca Volunteer Fire Department answered the call quickly, doused the fire, and redirected traffic. Power to Crestone, Casita Park, and the Baca was knocked out by the collision. The driver, Ian McMullen, suffered only minor injuries and walked away from the crash. The car, a Subaru Outback, was completely destroyed. Rec Cielo contacted customers, sending texts to let everyone know the power would be out for six hours and if they had medical equipment needing electricity to go to the Baca fire station. Power was restored a short time after noon that same day. And we have this corresponding letter to the editor, Car Wreck Survivor. Hello, everyone. This post is overdue, and I apologize for not writing it sooner. I am the guy who had the car accident on the S-curve on T-Road Thursday morning. First and foremost, I cannot thank you all enough for the incredible response, care, and concern shown here by all. The love of, for, and by this community is unmatched. Thank you to each and every one of you who stopped to give a helping hand and make sure that I wasn't still in the vehicle waiting to get barbecued. And thank you especially to all of the emergency responders, Baca Fire EMS, Crestone Fire, Swatch PD, SLV Rec, Cielo, State Patrol, and anyone I may have missed. Y'all are some selfless, competent, and big-hearted folks. Secondly, I am terribly sorry for causing the power outage that lasted all morning. Aside from the pure inconvenience to the community, I am well aware that we have people here who rely on power for necessary medical equipment, and certainly our businesses and stores that absolutely require it for a base level of functioning. I hate putting people out, and you have my sincerest apologies. Lastly, again, thank all of for Thank all for your heartfelt concern and compassion. I am, thank God in any and all divine power or deity you believe and confide in, 
wholly okay. A little bit sore, stiff, and banged around, but wholly intact and okay inside and out. By some miracle, after some seemingly good air time, rolling the car multiple times, then hitting the power pole, I was able to get out on my own power with little more than some superficial scratches, bruises, and abrasions before the fire started roaring. All things considered, looking and feeling like a million bucks and luckier than 777 at the slots. If you are looking for a safe vehicle, the singed mess of metal you saw in the pictures was a Subaru Outback. I am not being paid by Subaru to say this, but I couldn't recommend one highly enough. But I feel I'm probably preaching to the choir. The car itself had called 911 for me before I even stopped moving. Crazy. Thank you so very much to each and every one of you for being wonderful, caring folks. My heart goes out. This was written by Ian McMullen. And now turning to Swatch County News, clips from the clerk by Trish Gilbert, Swatch County Clerk and Recorder. Colorado's 150th license plates now available. Creation of this license plate was per House Bill 22-1388. License plates have been available to purchase since Colorado Day, August 1st, 2023, until July 2027. The two license plates are based on the historic Colorado Contest winning designs, which were determined in a statewide competition to design, then choose, the winners in two divisions, under 13 and over 13. More than 34,000 Coloradans voted in the contest, available for motorcycles, passenger cars, trucks that do not exceed 16,000 pounds empty weight, non-commercial, not available for any vehicle registered as a tax class A international registration plan, or recreational vehicles and motorhomes. Requirements, pay usual taxes and fee. Personalized license plate fees, a one-time fee of $60 with an annual $25 fee collected each year thereafter upon renewal. The center logo is not printed on personalized license plates. Number of plates allowed, one license plate set, single for motorcycle, per person. Plate options, passenger regular license plate, passenger personalized license plate, motorcycle regular license plate, motorcycle personalized license plate. Plate costs. Coloradans can purchase either license plate online at mydmv.colorado.gov or at a county-operated motor vehicle office. The license plates will cost $8.06 per pair in addition to local fees, making a total of $12.06 to update your vehicle registration, if current, to a Centennial plate. Standard registration fees apply for initial registrations and renewals. The historic Colorado contest was a low-cost effort to honor Colorado's history and celebrate the 150th anniversary with a commemorative license plate. Title in the name of a trust. An application for a Colorado title under a trust agreement requires and includes out-of-state trusts, DR-2170 trustee statement for a certificate of title. The title must be issued in the name of the trust exactly as indicated on the DR-2170 form. Trustee names cannot be shown on the title, but all trustees' names must be listed on the DR-2170 form. Only one trustee's signature is required on the DR-2170 form. The trustee must present secure and verifiable identification. Example of names of trusts, John Smith Trust, John Smith Estate Trust, John Smith Living Trust, Estate of John Smith Trust, John Smith Revocable Living Trust, John Smith Tax Trust, John Smith Living Partnership Trust. Out-of-state titles in the name of the trust being transferred. 
require a copy of the trust document showing the trustees and additional documents required. Tips and notes about trusts. There are no restrictions on the name of the trust. The trust the name has no effect on the validity of the trust. Trustee may give power of attorney, but the trustee must sign the DR-2170 form. County clerks may investigate or pursue any further information about the trust. This is not required as part of the title application. Dates are acceptable as part of the name if included in the actual name of the trust. A title can be issued in the name of the trust and an individual or business name as long as the individual is not a trustee, CRS 15-1-501. When the vehicle is sold and the title transferred, the trustee will sign the title as trustee. Only one trustee's signature is required. A copy of the trust document is required on Colorado titles with an acceptance. Date before December 1, 2001. Titles in the name of a trust being transferred to a trustee will require a DR-2444 statement of facts stating they are a true trustee and have the right to assign the title to themselves. And the trust beneficiary names should be listed in the care of area of the registration. Becoming a school board candidate. Elections. School board members are elected at regular biennial school elections, which are held on the first Tuesday in November of each odd-numbered year. Some school districts have a director district plan of representation, which means that school board members must reside in certain geographical areas. Others have an at-large or combined at-large and director district plan of representation. Most Colorado school board members are elected to four-year staggered terms. Board members may be elected to serve two consecutive four-year terms unless the board has locally extended or removed term limits. Vacancies are filled by appointment until the next election. The county clerk is primarily responsible for conducting school elections. However, school officials also have election duties. Eligibility. A candidate for the school board must be a resident of the school district and registered voter for at least 12 consecutive months prior to the election. If the school district has director districts in its plan of representation, the person must be a resident of the director district in which he or she is a candidate. No person who has been convicted of a sexual offense against a child is eligible to serve on the school board. Because school director elections are nonpartisan, candidates may not campaign as members of a political party. Nomination procedures. A person who desires to be a candidate for school director must file a nomination petition signed by 25 eligible electors of the school district in districts with fewer than 1,000 students or 50 eligible electors in larger districts. Your school district can provide more information about the number of signatures required on the petition. The nomination petition must be filed with the designated election official of the school district no later than 67 days before the election. The candidate would be wise to obtain extra signatures in case some of the signatures are invalidated. In most communities, nomination petitions are available at the local school district offices and must be filed at the school district. Call your school district office to find out where to pick up petitions. Campaign Filing School board candidates must meet filing requirements under Colorado's Fair Campaign Practices Act. One of the first steps is to file a candidate's affidavit with the Secretary of State within 10 days of becoming a candidate. Also, candidates are required to report contributions and expenditures on the Secretary of State's online tracer program. 
For more information about FCPA's reporting requirements and timelines for filing these reports, please visit the Colorado Secretary of State's website at coloradosos.gov. Ballot Tracks Captures Voters Auto Enrollment August 23rd Ballot Tax Automatically Enrolled 219,415 Voters as Ballot Tracks Users the auto enrollment captures voters with email addresses in their registration records who are not current ballot tracks users or former ballot tracks users who opted out of the system at some point in the past. That auto enrollment brought total active Colorado ballot tracks users over the 2 million mark for the first time, 2,064,524 to be precise. Ballotrax is a free service available to all active non-confidential voters. Ballotrax pushes ballot status notifications to voters in message formats that they may select from the time that mail ballots are sent until they are counted. Ballotrax provides voters increased customer service and transparency resulting in higher mail ballot voter confidence and turnout. Voters across Ballotrax by signing in at colorado.ballotrax.net or the ballot tracks landing page for the county in which they are registered, for example, sawatch.ballottracks.net. To log in, voters enter their first name, last name, date of birth, and residential zip code. Once logged into ballot tracks, voters can change their notification methods, modify the hours between which ballot tracks will send them ballot status messages, check the current status of their mail or in-person ballot, or opt out of ballot tracks altogether. To opt out of ballot tracks entirely, voters simply need to unselect all notification methods and click Update. Voters' ballots and votes remain confidential. Ballot Tracks provides updates to voters based on score data regarding the status or stage of their mail or in-person ballots in a particular election. Score does not record, and county and state elections never know the manner in which any particular voted, voted, voter voted. Confidential voters cannot use Ballot Tracks. Does Ballot Tracks sell or disclose registration data to third parties? No. Ballot Tracks is contractually prohibited from selling or disclosing any voter registration data or information that it receives from Colorado Secretary of State. By the way, Ballot Tracks is spelled B-A-L-L-O-T-T-R-A-X. The Sawatch County Clerk's phone is 719-655-2512. And we have this note, Swatch Photo Contest. Entries for competition due soon. Swatch Photo Competition is accepting entries for this year's contest. Entries accepted on September 8th and 9th. Competition will include the following categories. Historic buildings, local, best buddies, two or more animals, children, adults, or a mix of each. Landscapes, skyscapes, sunrise, sunset, rainbow, storm cloud, lightning. Wildlife, miscellaneous, still life, or any topic not fitting into other categories. Organics, floral trees, vegetables, or plant life. Action, working cowboys, rodeo, rafting, sporting events, etc. Pets, domestic animals such as dogs, cats, horses, chickens, cows, etc. Series, two to four related photos. Black and white, any subject. Professional, any subject. Some categories may be grouped together if number of entries are low. All photos may, must be taken in the San Luis Valley. No repeat photos from previous year's competitions accepted. Each person is limited to two photos in any category. Entries must be suitably framed or matted. There will be ribbons for places first through sixth in each category, as well as an overall grand champion, reserve grand champion, and the technical winner. 
These top awards are for the amateurs only. A professional is described as a person taking and displaying photographs specifically for profit. Entries are due September 8th between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. and September 9th from 9.30 a.m. to noon at the Fellowship Hall of the United Methodist Church at 6th and Christie Streets in Swat. If you cannot submit at these times, please call Sarah at 719-239-0366 to make arrangements. Public voting will take place September 14th and 15th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. both days at the Fellowship Hall. The photos will be on display with their awards on September 16th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Fellowship Hall. We are not responsible for unclaimed photos. Entry forms may be filled out when photos are submitted. There is no entry fee. And in the calendar, Saturday, September 9th from 3 to 4.30 p.m. at T-Road Brewing Company, Crestone Performance Youth Enrichment Program presents Youth Open Mic. And that's all we have time for today. Thank you for joining us for the Crestone Eagle. My name is Paula Vaughn. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-786. 7777.